Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's December 23rd, 2016. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm candidate Scott Long. <laughs> I've already taken to calling you Kamish. Kamish. <laughs> I bear no resemblance to Michael Chiklis, though. So no, no. We were talking about that before the show, and uh, you shaved your head, and you know, well, you're gay, you're on a see. That's the other thing too. Now you're on this bet where you can't yeah, yeah, gain weight. Yes. Yeah. So you not have the Michael Chiklis girth either. Yeah. So. Uh, but although I would love to be able to refer to you as the thing, because <laughs> that's the role he played on Fantastic Four. I'll, I'll see if that, that fits up my campaign. So yeah. All right. Got so. the thing long. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that would win. You would win the election hands down if you <laughs> Scott the thing long. You know, I could put any name I want on the ballot. You know, I know. So oh. I could put Scott the thing long on there if I wanted to. We have to seriously consider this now. <laughs> I'm serious. He's got rocks for brains. Oh Scott God. Long. Uh, it's funny though the people that uh, after I, I announce it, folks want to go to votescottlong.com. Please do. Um, but um, after I announced, I had you know all kinds of you know of our listeners and stuff were making poker puns on my Facebook page. Oh man, <laughs> you're you're gonna be uh, what was it? One was something like a bad beat, and uh, the other one was a he's a good bet. <laughs> he's all in for Safety Harbor. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck, buddy. Congratulations on your thank you, uh, thank you. It should be candidacy. Fun. I will not forget the little people who have made any up podcast what it is. Yes. And I'm a big-time elected official. So. Yes. Can't wait. <laughs> I'll be one of your lackeys. <laughs> now, of course, if I win, it's going to cut back on my travel a little bit, so you might have to be the one who goes to the World Series of Poker this year, Chris. Yeah, let's, let's not count that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's count on me winning. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about you going to the World Series later, right? Yeah, we'll talk about that later. But, but go ahead and put this in your calendar because you're going to go. Um, it, it's going to run May 20th to July 17th uh, this year, folks. And uh, this full schedule and new wrinkles promised will be announced later. But the World Series has said that the Colossus will again be the first weekend of the series, and that's going to run June 2nd through the 4th. The Seniors event will be June 16th. Still not old enough to qualify for me. Um, and the main event will begin July 8th. Now, when they say wrinkles, that's generally a bad thing. Wrinkle, yeah, wrinkles aren't wrinkles good things. My word, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know, I, maybe they, they said development. No, nah, 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 they didn't say developments either. I don't know what word they used, but I was too lazy to go back to the press release. Uh, okay. So the, the wrinkles were my word. Wrinkles are your inflection on the story, thinking that's probably bad news, but it may not be. Yeah. Well, nah. you know, every year they have like a laundry list of new stuff that. I kind of gloss my eyes over, you know. It's stuff that there's probably a small group of players that like each of those wrinkles. Right. I think it's the greatest thing ever. Um, but a lot of them for me are like, all right, I, all right, that's kind of cool, I guess, but doesn't really affect my life. Yeah, that's that's neat. All right, I'm glad they're doing it, but yeah, doesn't affect me. So, but every year they're good for two or three headline worthy ones. I think. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess we'll see what it is. This year. I think the the real story here is that we actually had a show on when we could announce something about the World Series in a timely manner. <laughs> it always gets announced five minutes after I post the show. We have to wait a week. That's the real news here. There was breaking news right before the show, but I decided hold off for next week. Oh no! It's it's not huge breaking news, but somebody didn't die. No, no, nothing like that. Yeah, no, no. Right. Well, a, a certain TV poker network has died. So yes, Aww. somebody did die, but. But tune in next week for more details on that story. Didn't, didn't want to complicate the show by swapping. Yeah, no, it's back. it's a it's a slow news series period. Cooperated with us this year. Yeah, they announced this a couple. Of days a slow ago. news period, so. But that's generally the same dates always, you know. 
third week in May, third week in July kind of thing. So yeah, and then nothing out of the order. The Colossus is always that that first weekend, the seniors event. You know, I guess they move that around, but it's usually middle of June and and then the main event. Now it's like a week later. Remember, it used to be it started July fourth weekend, right? So yeah. back when I thought I had to be out there for the main event to cover it and stuff, it really burned my toast, as uh, Fasta would say. I saw him yesterday, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, burned my toast because I'm a big Fourth of July guy, right? Yeah. Fourth uh, of July is not a big holiday uh, in the city of Sin, so I miss a lot of fireworks and stuff. But now they push it July eighth, and now I don't feel like I need to be out there for it anymore. So everybody's happy. Very good. All right, I saw this. Uh, I saw this in our upcoming issue of Andy Up, which is on the press now. Hopefully, being shipped to your favorite casino soon. Uh, so pick up a copy and uh, check out the Southwest section uh, because we have a little item uh, about a new game being dealt at Alida Casino in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Chris, it's called Watermelon. I know what it's called. I <laughs> I read the story. <laughs> Oh sure, full rank on it. <laughs> um, I just it, like the name of it. It right? was interesting because I had to look up what it was. Oh, you had to look it up. Okay. Yeah, I put it in there because she That's didn't say who it was. Journalism. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, here's how it works. Each player gets four cards to start. You discard one before the flop and one after the flop. So it's like pineapple and crazy pineapple put in a blender, and it comes out tasting like watermelon. <laughs> With a little Omaha flair for yeah, the four-card yeah. thing. I, I think that we need to call this in the home game at least once just oh, to say, hey, you know, we at least get a, an idea of what it's like because right now it's going to piss a lot of people off, I think. <laughs> because everybody hates getting rid of the card, but then they're going to hate it even more because the card that you're getting rid of is going to pair with the other card. Now there's going to be like straight draws that come out. And stuff like that that you have to get rid of one. You know, you're just going to be so mad playing this game, which I guess is the point. Or, or really happy. Yeah, I guess. It depends. So here's the thing. This is what I always like about pineapple is that you're right. Most people get frustrated by pineapple, whether it's pineapple or crazy pineapple. And because, you know, they're put to a test of these cards, especially in crazy pineapple, which is the one most of us play uh, where you get rid of it after the flop. So. Yeah. Now you now you got to figure out whether you want to go for that flush or straight draw or hold on to the made hand you have and um, and a lot of strategy involved and in how to do it based on where your position is and how the other action's gone. Um, but now that I explained that, I, oh no, so yeah, so uh, so here's the thing is that um, what I liked about pineapple and what I think I'll double like about watermelon is you have extra information, right? You know what card you threw away. Mm-hmm. Now, even if it frustrates you, if you know if you, you decide not to go for the flush draw and the flush gets there, at least you know that there's one fewer flush cards available to the other players. Right. So it makes it a little bit less likely. I mean, not enough to be confidence-driven, but a little less likely that somebody else has a flush now because you ha- you know that card is not in anybody's hand. Um, so now with a watermelon, now you've got two of those cards that you know. And it's generally not hard to figure out what card to get rid of before the flop, and that's why normal pineapple, when you do that, is kind of boring, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't think this adds any more stress, would, in my opinion. So, you know, that you've got four cards, you got to throw away the, the loose, the, the wiggly leg on the stool, right? Uh, yeah, the orphan. The orphan. Without any really thought, right? Right. For the most part, I mean, there, I guess there's probably might could be some times where you have to make a decision, but I think for the most part, it's gonna be a, that's gonna be a pretty easy decision, right? Um, and then as long as you remember what it is, and also remember what it is, but don't let it get you all upset. <laughs> now you've you got to remember that information. So I think what happens is a lot of players in these games they they for whatever reason just forget about that card or they let it get upset. But that's powerful information to have. Now obviously everybody has a card they're throwing away. So what makes it powerful is the ones that actually remember it and, and use that to calculate their odds and take that out. So um, if you go into this game doing that, I think you have an, an immediate edge. Yeah, but you know, being the pessimist that I am, because I'm not running <laughs> really? for office. It's a new development. So, yeah, I'm not running for office, so I can be pessimistic. Um, you know, it's like you get ace, ace, eight, nine, double suited. Oh no! All right, you throw away the eight because the nine's a better kicker, and 
then the the suit of the ace comes up. That's yeah. the eight. Now you so yeah. now you're like son of a, you know. And then <laughs> and it comes. You have eight nine. You throw away the eight, and it comes. You know six seven five, and you're like son of a. And then now you, now the gutter you have to hit to make that straight. If you keep the nine, you know now you're throwing the nine away. Oh, it's just it's so aggravating. It's just it's so I can tell already it's going to be aggravating. If it was no limit, it might be interesting because then. You know, if you got ace ace, whatever you just shove or whatever, or you make a real big bet, and but even then, they still get to keep three cards with it, no matter what until that flop. You know, and it it's it's an interesting game, but it's just another way to frustrate people. And you're right. I mean, obviously there there are players who will expose this for you know to, to the people who are, are ignorant to the game or who who just don't really understand. Hey, remember the cards that you used to have and calculate that if you can into your into your end there uh, possibilities but but yeah I saw that and I thought it's a typo what is this watermelon <laughs> you know I had to look it up because I, I had never heard of it and it's interesting and it, I'm sure it'll get called now in our home game because that's what we do we always try to find one new game to call yeah and here's the frustrating thing about the home game is now obviously I'm campaigning until March so I can't really afford to take a Saturday <laughs> to play with you knuckleheads and by that time whenever we get to that point I'm going to forget about this watermelon game and I know you're not going to call it so no I'll call it for you the first home game that we have where you're available I'll call it <laughs> I'll call and it on the ship we'll have a dealer's choice game on the ship or something one of the cruises ah there we go um, and we got a uh, setup of the brand new looking J Design uh, designs in the mail. Nice. Too. So nice. we could use that in the home game, and I have to wait for that. So oh man, frustration. So well, what about Friday nights? Are you available Friday nights? Because I think uh, Gambit's going to have a home game in January. That's <laughs> true. Maybe when it gets uh, after dark, when I can't uh, be knocking on doors. Yeah, exactly. You come down for uh, the last three hours of the game, bring the deck, and call watermelon. <laughs> Play one hand and leave. See you. <laughs> All right. See you later. Or one round. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, I don't know really what to think about uh, this next item. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's it's classic uh, clickbait, you know, yeah. and but it was successful clickbait, and I clicked on it, and now we're talking about it on the show. So uh, Nate Berman, who is writing on a website called TVOverMind.com, listed what he thinks are the four best poker scenes in cinematic history. Strong words there, right? Yeah, pretty huge. And the four he picked was uh, the poker hand from The Sting, uh, Doc Holliday's drunken hand from Tombstone, uh, the kick-a-buck scene from Cool Hand Luke, and Spider getting shot in Goodfellas. Okay, well, first of all, Spider, that right there alone is disqualified. It's not a, it's not a hand, it's a foot. All right, <laughs> that's the first thing. Second of all, this guy is clueless. Okay, how does big hand for a little lady not make this? And the whole movie's about a hand, all right? <laughs> the entire movie is about a hand. How does that not make a top four? And how does every hand from Rounders not beat I knew you were gonna one of these hands? I don't know how I knew, because um, you know, <laughs> it's not a big movie for you in your house, but I thought you might go there. So Of course. Here's what I will say is that uh, I would I, I think there's enough artistic license here when you're coming up with a list of the best poker scenes in a movie to generally disqualify a movie that is completely about cards. Oh, come because you on. assume there are going to be poker scenes in that, right? Now, I guess you could have been clear. Here are the best four poker poker scenes in cinematic history, not from movies about poker, right? And then, then you know, you wouldn't have an argument. Um, but I, I think for the fun of it, I mean, I don't know if, I, I don't know how much fun it is to list the best poker scenes in cinematic history and six out of ten be from one movie. Well, okay, so even I didn't set up the parameters of this story. The guy chose to write this as clickbait, and he says four best in cinematic history. He didn't say non-poker. Saying he should have put the qualifier. I know, but but here's the deal: how does he not even get the Cincinnati Kid in there? Well, that's a movie about poker. I know, but I'm saying he didn't... He, None of these other movies are about poker. I mean, The Sting is a gambling movie, but it's not really about poker. I mean, there's a poker scene in the middle of a gambling yeah. movie. Yeah. And Tombstone, I mean, obviously, they're sitting around playing poker all the time, because that's all you do in the Wild West is shoot people and play poker. But it's still not a poker movie. Um, and neither is Cool Hand Luke, and certainly not Goodfellas, so... Yeah. Well then, I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for like TV show scenes too, and <laughs> you know when Mr. Cunningham has to go to the frat house and win all the money back for Richie, and 
then when you know oh when Ross comes out and says, "You better get out of the shower because I got a flush and friends." <laughs> those are the scenes that I'm nominating then because this is not right. You don't say cinematic history and then put a clause on it that says except for poker movies. Well, you did put the clause on. It. I'm putting the clause on it, but. And then well, even California Split, you know. Yeah, it's also a gaming movie. I, I know. mean, mostly about poker. I, I mean, know. they don't spend a lot of time playing poker in it, but. There really aren't a lot of hands in that movie that are no, recalling. I think they do the little self deal thing. I yeah. think at the end there's a hand too when they get into the big thing, but that's yeah, about it. That's about it. You know, I mean, of course, and then they're overshadowed by the uh, you can't throw oranges on the yellow uh, escalator, lady. That's that's the best. <laughs> yes, right. See, maybe that's what we need to do. We need to come up with a list. Of the best non-poker scenes in poker, poker movies. movies, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think it's uh, when Worm gets beat up by uh, what's his name, uh, Grandma, in the in the in the Ben's bathroom. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. best best not, or when they get beat up at the state police. See, yeah, yeah. A lot of people getting beat up in that movie. <laughs> Which which okay, which violent scene in a poker movie was non-poker in history? Well, that eliminates all the Joe scenes in the Rounders. <laughs> so, you know, I knew you'd go right there. I, I did not know you were going to bring her up somewhere in there. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, this. I mean, it's 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 definitely clickbait, but you know, at least he did the research. So yeah, what- I mean, I've seen some of these. I mean, here's the thing with the clickbait: is I don't like it when they do. Um, I'm trying to remember the actual clickbait I saw recently, but somebody did a something about poker, and so I clicked on it. It was, an, it was a listy kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, this might be good for the show, and I read it, and it was just garbage. It was, it didn't make any sense. It was, it might have been an, even trying to like strategy, best for strategy or whatever, and you could tell the person clearly had never played poker and just Googled a bunch of stuff and threw a list together to get clickbait, right? Uh huh. And I'm like, I'm not going to give that the... There's no reason for us to debate it on the show because it's worthless, right? Yeah. Although I saw some other poker websites ripping it apart, saying exactly what I just said, but they spent half an hour posting something about it. So, <laughs> legitimizing it. That's the problem. Is when right. you do that, then it's legitimized. So, But, you know, kind of fun list like this. You know, hey, you know, I don't think it's serious, but it was it was a good discussion we just had. And then, and then, then we turned it into a more fun discussion. Yeah. Coming up with our other list that uh, hopefully folks will go to pokerradius.com and put their favorite non poker scenes of a poker movie. Well, and if I send that to Nat and let him get all the money for the clicks, so. I am going to have to. Uh, I guess I'll contribute one scene I thought was pretty hilarious that was a good poker scene that was not in a poker movie. Was if you remember Stripes, right? When John Candy's playing poker oh, with the guys so. and he's like, See, now if you had four of these, you know. But you have a six, a seven, and oh, if it was me, I'd shove. Oh no, I'd go all in. But I'm, I'm crazy. Mr. I'm, I'm Mr. Vegas. So that's a pretty good scene. That's pretty funny. But, Actually, uh, you're right. That that really deserves to be up there. That's that's classic. One is hilarious. Yeah. John Candy too. But two, that's a classic poker thing, right? I mean, anytime you're out talking to people, um, you know, obviously I'm going to a lot of these mixers and things now. You know, to you know. Yeah. Promote promotescottlong.com. Yeah. Kiss babies, shake hands. <laughs> exactly. And don't mix those two up because you mix those two up, you're getting a lot of trouble. That's a problem, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, in, in my normal life, you know, when I'm out, people ask what I do. You know, maybe I'm at a chamber luncheon or something, and they're like, oh, poker, yeah. I don't want to sit at your table. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, you get that kind of comment, right? Yeah, all the time. And, uh, and I think so, I think that stripe scene is exactly why people say that, right? Yeah. Because they always think there's going to be a John Candy there. That seems nice, trying to show him how to play, but is really fleecing him. <laughs> that is pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> it's, right? it's pretty accurate, yeah. All right, we're going to have to petition this uh, this list at uh, Nat Berman here. I think we're going to have to send him a little, hey, you better put this one in. We're going to let you get away with not putting in poker movie scenes, but stripes <laughs> need to be in there over Spider getting shot. There's not even poker in it. They're playing poker in the background. He's like, give me a drink, and he shoots him. I mean, it has nothing to do with... It's not poker. I don't know. All right. Annie Updates. You know, if you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Annie Up in your home area, apply at annieupmagazine.com slash ambassadors. We have immediate openings in Michigan, North Florida, and Louisiana. And I don't know if you noticed, but I put myself down as a North Florida ambassador. 
<laughs> in this recent issue because I've been writing it for You've been doing it, yep. for All like right. months. So um, I, please relieve me of my duties and uh, do this job because it's very rewarding. It's just not easy to do from home anymore. So also, Ben Poker Room in Oregon is the latest poker venue to join our Restock the Shelves charity food bank initiative that we do with Blue Shark Optics on January 16th. Also, use uh, offer code New Year 2017 at advancedpokertraining.com to get a discount, and $5 will be donated to the Citizens for Social Justice Food Bank. For more information, visit anyatmagazine.com slash restock. Yeah, very nice um, addition to the uh, restock the shelves there by our good friends at Advanced Poker Training. Yeah, absolutely, very cool. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino, uh, Casino Seminars, which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Rob, Rob White. He says... The only casino close to my home is not allowed to have live dealers, so the poker room is all electronic tables. You get 45 seconds every time it's your turn to act with a clock running. Obviously, this isn't the case at your traditional slash standard room. The last time I was in Vegas playing in an Annie Up Poker Tour event, that's a shameless plug here for Scott, I guess. I don't know why it's just me. I mean, I don't, I don't know. maybe I'm the only shameless one. Maybe. Yeah, you're only sh- you're well, you're, well, you're, shameless. Well, you're running for office, so <laughs> you're shameless. Uh, I put some pressure on someone with a semi-bluff. I thought I could push him off of his hand. After he sat there thinking for what seemed like four to five minutes, I sat staring at the middle of the table motionless, or at least I think I was. The whole time I'm thinking, how long is long enough to call a clock? I don't want to call one early and that be a tell that I'm weak trying to pressure him into a decision. Ultimately, he called. I became a short-stack ninja and had an early exit. Before my next trip, I wanted to be repaired more, as I didn't think about the situation beforehand. Generally, how long do you wait to call a clock? Does it depend on the stage of the tournament? Or maybe just if the same guy goes in the tank regularly? The last one. Yeah, the last one. Uh, no, I think that's the big part of it, is that, you know, I like to be a nice guy at the table, and I like to have people, uh, I don't mind people taking time to make a decision, particularly if it's later in the tournament, as he mentions, um, where, you know, it's, uh, you know, they make the wrong decision, they're out. I'm willing to give some latitude there. But, you know, if it's, uh, we're starting to see the, the trend different now. We had those, this trend recently of everybody tanking ridiculously long for no reason. And then there's such a blowback from it now that I think people are starting to learn not to do it just to be a Deutsche Bank, right? Right. But, yeah, so if a guy is taking three, four minutes regularly, um, when it gets to me and the clock's running and whatever reason, that's going to be a time when when I think I'm going to jump in at some point after a minute or two and go, hey. And I'm going to explain that to the floor when he comes over. I'm like, you know, hey, he's been taking... A long time on a lot of hands and you know we're getting late in the tournament here and he needs to make a decision yeah that's fair enough and the other thing too is sometimes if you see their stack you know and they've got it depends on you know, if their stack is a certain size and they're doing a certain you know tactic with this you know like hey i got a big stack i can milk the clock for his, and then you guys are all gonna be in trouble because i got a huge stack and you won't be and then you start calling the clock on the guy saying hey you're abusing the system so that you're putting more pressure on us because we're all going to have to keep you know shoving now, whereas you're still comfortable. You, know, you can tell somebody's using that to their advantage. Then you start calling the clock on them, you know. And then if they're going to be a jerk about it, there's no reason why you can't be a jerk about it too. You know, call a clock on them every time immediately until he stops doing it. You know, because they're going to get tired of coming over and they're going to get tired of giving this guy a warning. And then eventually you'll get a warning or something. So, uh, yeah, I. I don't ever have a. There's no way you. Everything depends on poker. I never have a set reason or time. You know, I don't look at my watch and go. You know, um, and usually it feels like four or five minutes they're taking, but usually they're taking maybe yeah, one or two. One it just two feels like it. Seems like a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. But if they think like the cameras are on them or something, and they're in WPT, you know, <laughs> yeah, dude, no cameras or seriously, WPT around. <laughs> yeah, seriously, uh, just call a clock on the guy and say I'm not being a jerk. It's just hey, you know, we all have short stacks here or the blinds are going up or or whatever and it's not that hard of a decision but you're right there is that if you want him to call then you don't really have to worry about what you're doing because if he doesn't call you still won the hand right. but if you don't want him to call then you're thinking Ugh, 
you know, I don't want to do anything that gives it away here that I'm nervous or something. So, I don't know. Generally, I don't call clocks on people unless, like Scott said, it's just absolutely ridiculous. I don't think I've actually ever called the clock on Yeah, I don't think I have either. I've had the, call, the clock called on me. <laughs> That's right. And my own cruise. <laughs> but uh, I ended up being one of my best friends on the cruise after that. So the guy was cool. He was an older gentleman. But uh, All right, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerRadius.com, poker's best social networking site and home to the Annie Up Group discussions. comes from Howard Hass, Long Island. says, I was playing a $75 tournament at a casino. There were 62 entries and eight would make the money. We got down to nine and someone suggested a $10 Bubble Boy collection. I have been in this situation several times and we have always collected for this, although once or twice someone would not contribute. This time, the chip leader objected, and he called the floor. The floor ruled that unless it was unanimous, we could not collect money for the bubble. Is this correct? Uh, it is not a chop, which, of course, needs to be unanimous. Can the casino stop us from taking money out of our pockets to give to someone else? Well, all right. I didn't pass this on to Elliot because I think this is kind of uh, – it just depends on the casino. So, um, But uh, so that's going to be my answer. It depends on the casino. <laughs> um, no, every casino has their own rules on how chops – uh, go and I know we're talking about a bubble boy collection, so it's not quite a chop, but it's all in that same vein, right? So you know, some rooms don't allow you to chop at all; they don't allow you to do any of these bubble boy things. Uh, once the prize pool's posted, that's what they're paying out. Um, and, and what they'll tell you is, hey, if you guys want to make any deal, uh, we're paying out the way it says it up there, and then you guys can go in the parking lot and do whatever you want, but we're not going to be involved in it. Um, so I would say that's the case here um and i've I've been in a situation like howard is where uh somebody suggests a bubble boy collection um most of us except for maybe one or two uh said we're cool with it um and then what we did is we just gave 10 bucks to one of the guys at the table to hold for him and then when that guy got knocked out then that guy gave him the money so that's probably what you're going to do here so i mean the, the last his last question, can he just stop us from taking money out of our pockets and give someone else? No, they can't do that. Um, but generally, with these Bubble Boy things, it comes out of the prize pool. So um, that would be my suggestion in the future. So if you have somebody like the chip leader um, objecting, just you know, take a $10 bill out of your wallet and say, hey, who wants to hold on to all these? And whoever wants to be in is in. And you know, if the, one of the people that didn't want to be in it's a bubble boy then everybody gets their 10 bucks back right 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 exactly that's, a, that's just gonna make that point in case you didn't that's what i was gonna say so um yeah the answer is question no no casino can stop you from taking money out and doing what you want with your own money so if you have like eight guys that are not final nine that want to do it you all know, take your money put it together and put it aside and say hey the guy who goes out gets this if the guy who didn't want to do it goes out sorry you don't get that money and you were being a jerk so now, I will say that they may not allow you to pass money back and forth or put money on the table. There are rules about that as well, too. So right. You, there might be another step involved. Like I said, it might need to be a a, bit, a parking lot situation, which is not going to work for a bubble boy. But, um, but you know, it's a casino. You're, you're in their environment, so you have to play by their rules. And, you know, there's reasons why some casinos don't want to be in the chop business, and there's reasons why other ones want to be in the chop business. So, um because this is a big deal, then you play it somewhere else. Um, but I generally don't think it is. But, um, you know, in a follow-up email, we were talking about, um, you know, why it needs to be unanimous for the Bubble Boy. And my point is it's coming out of the prize pool, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this is different if people are giving money, but um, whereas the chop needs to be unanimous, I think these really should be unanimous. Now, I'm not going to stand in the way of a group if they want to put 10 bucks in and I don't want to be part of it, but it's important to understand that the probably the reason the chip leader objected wasn't necessarily greed. It could have been greed. Uh, but there's a strategic reason that a chip leader would not want to agree to this deal. Sure, right? Sure. Because once you, I mean, it's a comfort level, right? Right. So right once now, the bubble's gone, then they're Exactly. Right. right now, everybody's worried about being the next person out and not getting anything. So now, as soon as you make a deal where that person knows, hey, at least I'm getting my money back, uh, the plate changes, right? And a chip leader is always going to benefit from the fear of the shorter stacks. So 
it's actually probably a good lesson to folks out there if you're a ship leader to not want to do this, <laughs> right? Right. Um, aside from you know, that's not being a jerk if you're the only one, but there is a strategic reason why it needs to be um, unanimous because it does change the the type of play. I mean, I think most people think a bobber boy thing is, is is standard and doesn't mean anything. It's no big deal, but it actually does. So. Um, you know, we'd probably be more comfortable if we just got rid of the whole thing, but, you know, it's pretty common, I know, so. Um, and I've benefited from the Bubble Boy thing uh, a lot of times, so. I'm <laughs> uh, certainly not going to campaign for it to get rid of, but but generally, it is affecting the strategy, and it shouldn't, so. Yeah, I, and I, I can agree with that. It's just really... I mean, you're the chip leader for a reason. You didn't get to be the chip leader because we're on the bubble for four hours. You're a chip leader because you're playing better than anybody else or you've got more chips, and you really want to get the table back to running and playing so you can start exposing the shorter stacks anyway. You know, I I, I see the, the reason for both ways to do it, so I don't fault the guy for not wanting to do it, but I certainly am not going to stop people from wanting to do it if they want to do it on the side on their own. And that the fact that the floor said you can't collect money is is wrong. You can't tell me what I'm going to do with my money. If I want to say, hey, give me 10 bucks, give me 10 bucks, give me 10 bucks, put it in my pocket, and then when the guy goes out, you give it back to him. I mean, yeah. who, who are they to tell you you can't do that? It's your life. Well, like money. I said, it just depends on how you do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't put it on the table. You don't take chips, you know, if you're in a cash game, which you're not, but I mean, you don't take cash chips out of your thing and do it, so... Although I would imagine there probably could be a casino out there that is in not in the shop business and not in the business of telling you you can do what you want. And I mean, again, we just talked about a strategic reason not to do it unless it's unanimous. So right. I, I don't really know how they enforce that, but you know, they could strongly tell you, "Hey, this is not um, allowed in our room." So, so it's possible. So yeah, I just just don't. be ready be, for that. Yeah, be careful. <laughs> but I, I don't see there being a problem. Hey, we got a brand new O'Malley's move in time for the holidays. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a two-table, $50 buy-in sit-and-go. The tournament is winding down with the payout structure at $450, $250, $150, $50. We're down to five-handed. There is one player with about half of the chips in play, while the rest of us have about an average of 20 big blinds. We're at the 250, 500, 50 level, and with a stack of 11,250, we look down at the 9 of spades, 9 of hearts. Okay, so that isn't awful. With four players sitting at an average of about 20 big blinds, we're going to put the pressure on. Sure, it'd be nice to burst the bubble and get at least our money back, but we're here to position ourselves for victory. The average raise has been to about 2.5x, so we are careful not to step too far out of line and make it 12.50 to go from the end of the gun. The plus one folds, but the button makes the call. Interesting. The button has been in panic mode since he lost a cooler of a hand and let go of the chip lead about 30 minutes ago. He lost two other pots and currently sits with about 12k. Interesting that he's just going to call here. The last two open raisers before him were met with shoves by him. The blinds both fold. With 3,500 units in the pot, the flop is a relatively safe queen of hearts, tray of spades, tray of clubs. Since we were the pre-flop aggressor, we're going to continue with the aggressive line in this hand. We do have a made hand with only one overcard to our two pair. There's a chance we're good here, and if not, we might be able to get a hand like ace-king out. We make it 2,000 to go. After a bit of thinking, our opponent shoves his remaining stack into the middle. So, the pot has ballooned to 13.5k. If we fold, we sit with an M of 8. What are we doing here? This is Daniel Negreanu of FullContactPoker.com. You're listening to Anti Up. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. This one comes from good friend Dave Beeson. And he says, uh, hello, Scott and Chris. Hello, Dave Beeson. Hello, Dave Beeson. Uh, I haven't played live poker much lately as I'm enjoying the rather inexpensive play on the antiuppokerroom.com site. Obvious plug. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you can tell how long this we've been holding on this hand. Um, but I did break free last Saturday afternoon to play 1-2 No Limit Hold'em on a reasonably loose table at a local casino. Typical first-in raises at this table are 6 to $15, and results vary widely. 
$6 raise could buy the pot or a $15 bump with T7 callers. Oh, boy. <laughs> that, wow. that kind of game, right? Yeah. And cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria, he says. <laughs> uh, we are nine-handed, and the action folds to a player in middle position who bets 14. Um, the next uh, two, three players fold, and, but the cutoff button and small blind all call. So we got three callers for 14 bucks on this raise. And we are in the big blind with squiggly $75 and have the jack of diamonds, nine of diamonds. And before you answer, he says, uh, everybody but the small blind has me covered, and I'm on my second buy-in. Yeah, I mean, I I, I tend to loosen up when I'm on my second buy-in because I want to play more hands, and I either know I'm going to go home broke or I'm going to get back to even or go home big. So, you know, I tend to loosen up, but I really think I'm not playing this hand. I really think that it's a one-gapper. The only nuts it can make are straight flushes, which aren't coming. You're hoping for, you know, a hand. If you flop two pair, then straight draws are out there. So if you're flopping diamonds, you don't have the nut diamonds unless it's a straight flush. And so in your out of position, pretty much to everyone except the small blind, no matter how good the odds are on that, I don't think it's really worth $14 here. I'm probably letting this hand go, to be honest with you. No, I, you don't have to lie to me. You can be honest. Okay, I'm being uh, honest. I'm uh, probably going to be honest with you and say I'm going to fold too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, here's the thing for me is I think I need to be – I mean, some of this is um, – we have a great column in this uh, month's um, Annie Up from uh, Mark Bremen about um, effective stacks and how important effective stacks are when you're making these decisions, right? Yep. Um, so it's not just the, out, the, the amount of chips that are already in. It's how many – when you're playing no limit, you're it's how many chips can you win with this? So, when you're playing a hand like this, you're gambling uh, that you're going to hit your hand and get paid off big. Um, so it's helpful that everybody else has this covered, um, but that's also limits how much we could win here too. So um, that changes things a little bit. But um, you know, all right. Again, the 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 rule of thumb is if it's calling off 10% of your stack, then make the call. If not, then do something else. And um, this is 20% of our stack, right? Yeah. About. And yeah. Um, and then once you do that, I don't necessarily say you're pot committed now. It's, it's 61 bucks after this. But I don't think you can fade a second bet here without having – a second bet is definitely committing you to this pot. Which pretty much means that if you hit this hand on the flop, you're going to have to shove your 61, um, which is going to be, what, about a pot size bet, right? A little, a little bit more of the pot. So maybe that's not bad. But um, but you've really turned this into that, you know, that good old stop-and-go play, right? Right. So by calling this 14, you're pretty much your, – your proper move, regardless of what the flop is, is to shove after this flop and hope to take it down. And that seems like a pretty big gamble to me here. Yeah, especially as say yeah in a cash game. It's one thing if people people's lives are on the line, they don't want to call it all in. It's another thing to say, hey, it's it's a few bucks, you know, and I've got a draw, and it's a cash game, and if I'm wrong, I still have more money than you, or I'm going to go into my pocket and keep playing. It, you know, I. And the other thing too is, um, this is the kind of hand like I would speculate with a hand like this if I had a big stack, or if I was in position. We don't have a big stack. We've already lost a bunch of money, and we're out of position. You know, right, it's just right. there's just too many things against a lot of it. Things going on, here. yeah, right. that have to happen for me to be successful with this hand. So, I really am just going to let it go. With that being said, I'm going to do whatever I can to help you through this hand <laughs> uh, because it sounds like you're going to play it. So, yeah, yeah. you know, um, but I, I wouldn't play this hand. Or, or like I said, if I would, I would play it in a different position. I just all the things that are stacked against me here. It's like eh, fourteen bucks. Eh, I'm gonna get another hand in fifteen seconds. Just gonna chuck this yes, one away. Exactly. All right. Well, before he tells us what he uh, did, he gives us a little more extra information here. Uh, the middle position player who uh, was the initial raiser is dot 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 odd. <laughs> I played against him quite a bit. He bets his decent draws, heavy, calls just about any bet often with the thin draws and moves between uh, loose aggressive and loose passive. Is that a loop? <laughs> um, that's a, a lot more fun to say than a calling station. <laughs> Love it. That's funny. Um, and I've seen him call all in with a very large stack holding four of spades, six of spades, pre-flop. Okay, so all over the place. And then the small blind is described as a guy who keeps complaining about how much better everyone else is. 
He had recently requested a table change to join us after getting beat up somewhere else. Perhaps I should have handed him this month's copy of Annie Up Magazine. Shameless plug. Thank you. Two shameless plugs in the same yeah, show. Yeah, we're in the same show. Uh, uh, so back to the Jack of Diamonds, Nine Diamonds, and a $14 bet to me. I don't want to raise here because I would find it difficult to call if anybody goes over the top. The option to close out the betting with really good odds and my money won't let me fold. Uh, yes, it will let you fold. <laughs> but Godspeed to you, John Glenn. <laughs> oh, jeez. He's a great American. Yeah, I know. It's just that everyone used that cliche thing when he died. So I figured might as well, you might as well use it too, right? Yeah, right now. I'm the man of the people. <clears throat> That's right. You are now. Oh, all right. And he, uh, so we make the call. Flop Cubs, the Jack of Clubs. Seven of Diamonds. Ten of Diamonds. 65 bucks in the pot after the rake. And a small blind moves in for his last $33. This feels more like a situation. <laughs> um. All right. So we had about seventy-five. We called fourteen. We only have about sixty left. Obviously, we hit top pair. We hit a straight draw, and we hit a straight flush draw. I mean, we've got we've pretty much did everything we wanted to do. Um, this is the proverbial county fair here. Yeah, yeah. Um, that doesn't <laughs> it's not a world's fair, but doesn't we have the best hand? Someone could easily have you know a straight already or whatever, but. Or a set or something. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to re-raise all in. I don't have that much money anyway. There's a ton out there. And it's got 33, so if I re-raise all in, I'm putting a little more pressure on the next guy to call 75 or 60-something. So, yeah, it's pretty... To me, it's no-brainer. Now that we've gotten ourselves into this hand, and we're already down one buy-in, what's, what's two buy-ins? Well, all right, so let me ask you this. Uh, I, I was I was going to say it was a no-brainer, too, to do exactly what you said, but now I'm using my brain. Um... <laughs> And it, it could be a faulty brain, but I guess the argument for not for just calling and not shoving is to get more money into the pot on a draw-heavy board. Nah, I want to end this hand now, and I got top pair, and if he's drawn, fine. I got a better draw than him, maybe, possibly. I don't want more money in. I want this over with. It's a pretty big pot for... That's true. We are up to about <laughs> 100 bucks now, right? Yeah, yeah, for one, two. And if you were just calling, you get more people... You know, not that the flush draws wouldn't call as well, because they probably would. Better flush draws might call, but that might mean, hey, our jack will stand up. Then, you know, if somebody's got eight nine. Well, then, okay, we have to the diamonds or runner runner boat or something. Well, but. if anybody's calling our bet, then they're not getting the proper odds unless it, a couple of them call. So there is that case to be made, right? Yeah, because they're going to have to call sixty to win. You know, one. And of course, we want them to do if that's the case because they're making bad odds. But. It's close though. It's close to the odds if they had a nut flush draw and two overs or something. You know, if they had like ace queen of diamonds. Oh, that's true too. Yeah, it's close, yeah. but yeah. or it is right. But uh, still, even so, I I want to try to isolate this guy and see if my jacks are good. And if they're not, I have all kinds of backups. You know, eight straight um, diamonds flush. You know, uh, if he's got two pair sevens and tens. Then my nine or another jack. I mean, there's a lot of ways a runner runner deuces. I mean, there's all kinds of ways I can beat all kinds of hands. So I'd rather isolate this guy, have a nice hundred dollar pot come my way if if it, if it stands and if it doesn't, well, it really wasn't that bad of a move, you know. I mean, right. it, the, the the mistake was playing the hand in the first place. So now we've got to at least try to make up for that mistake. Now there's no way I just call there. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, all right, so we're shopping. Yep. All right. Here says this really felt like a desperation slash tilt move on his part. Uh, talking about the small blind. Uh, he says, but at a minimum, I put him on a pair, possibly a jack with a better kicker than mine. Even with villain two moving all in, I love this flop. I have top pair, gut shot, straight draw, flush draw, and a gut shot, straight flush. I have nine diamonds and three eights for 12 outs, not double counting the eight of diamonds. I don't think calling is correct as I only have squiggly, squiggly 60. Uh, but do I love it enough to shove? There are still three players behind me to act. The button cut off don't look very interested in this flop. Uh, villain number one isn't showing any tells. Shove or fold? Yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with the other players at this point. I mean, I don't know how you can fold. And I, yeah, you can't I can fold. fold. I mean, <clears throat> you can't fold. You have half the deck, and you're and you have a pair. You have top pair. Yeah, yeah you can't fold. All right, so that's his options, and he has to shove. So, yeah. Uh, and our hero says that's what I do. I shove my remaining sixty dollars and hope that the uh, initial raiser gives up. He does, flashing two black eights accidentally uh, as a cutoff and button fold. Uh, that's good for you, I tell villain number two. There go two of my outs. Uh, small blind shows eight of hearts, nine of clubs for the flop straight. 
Turn was the four of clubs. The river, the five of diamonds. Nice. Small blind. Storms off on the table. Hard to blame them. Uh, so our hero asks, is this a pre-flop raise situation? Pre-flop shove? I know that any pre-flop bet I could have made would not get villain number one off his eights. Not sure about the other callers. All right, so the first question he asks is, is this a pre-flop raise situation? Yeah. No. We were going to fold. Right, Jack well, and I. I'm not going to raise. The thing. I guess we didn't discuss this though. If you were going to play it, the proper way to play it would be for a raise, right? Because you got a lot of fourteen dollars in there, uh, three or four of them, right? Yeah, uh, three collars plus the one, so that's uh, forty. That's sixty-four bucks, right? Um, and with your stack, I mean, that's a pretty decent raise there. Um, now you're probably guaranteed to get called by someone, so that's the problem with it. That's well, right, because he doesn't think. And now we know that the eights aren't going anywhere in that situation. I don't think. I don't think but so. We all think. But we have to assume they have something worth raising there. And it's a much bigger stack than we do. So I, the problem with shoving is I think I think we're guaranteed to get called. The reason you want to shove there is just to pick up that dead money. And I don't think the odds are in your favor in being able to do that. Right? It, it just seems so weird. If you're in a game, let's just re- erase everything we just learned. And we just sit down at a game. And it's one two, and somebody makes it fourteen. And you get two callers, and you look down at Jack Nine out of position. You're going to shove seventy five dollars with Jack Nine when you have a pre flop raiser in the middle of the hand. I mean, it, you're opening up the betting again for someone who voluntarily raised to fourteen dollars in this game, and, and then you had two other callers who could have been smooth calling. I mean, you you literally have three people at least that you have to fade here with a shove with Jack Nine out of position. And it's like, do I think about shoving? And if I re-raise, you're opening up the betting again to have the guy who raised, who initially raised because he had a legitimate hand. Right. Or the other guy who called who was hoping because we knew the information earlier was that this guy was loose passive or whatever. So the other guy might be thinking the same thing. Like, oh, this guy could have any hand. I'm going to trap him with aces. And then he gets a guy behind him re-raising. He's like, oh, you know what? Good. Somebody's got more money in there for me. I don't have to do anything. Now I'll just shove my aces. So, I mean, there's so many ways people could have exposed this other guy and now you're going to come in and voluntarily put all your chips in on jack nine i would never do that that i wouldn't do so i someone to say pre-flop shove no pre-flop raise no I, I think either one of those really just opens up the betting again for people who wanted to put money in the pot voluntarily already and couldn't put 60 in the middle because it's it would get everybody to fold but now that they can put 60 in the middle or they're happy to and you're going to go into a fight with jack nine now, in this case, they would have worked out at the river if the guy didn't have, you know, a suited ace or queen or something. But still, yeah, no, I would never have done those two things with Jack-9 in the big blind. There's no way I'm shoving 75 on Jack-9 unless I absolutely was convinced. You know, in a tournament, it's one thing when you've got seven limpers and you know they all don't have a hand and you just shove because it's one of your plays because that's all you have. You know, that's different. This is like cash game and a guy voluntarily raised. It's not all limpers going to the, and, you know, they're all weak. Someone in there is strong, and I, I would never, ever put my enti- entire chip stack on a hunch at 75 preflop at $75 in a 1-2 game. There's just no way. All right. Not for me. I don't know about you, but not for no, me. No, no, Um, And then, yeah, I don't – I mean, maybe the eights. I think the eights fold if you do make a huge re-raise. Well, I mean, the huge, I mean, there's no re-raise here. I mean, it's a shove, I think. Yeah. The appropriate raise that I would ever consider making there. So at that point, now he's got to call 61, right? Because we had 14, well, it, 14 and we have 75. Yeah, that's the eights guy. The other guy had eight, nine. That's right. So the eights guy, yeah. So right, I think yeah. the eights guy folds. But. So, uh, yeah, so that's a pretty big bet with the eights at that point. Um, unless he thinks that you're just, you know, doing that kind of trying to pick up the dead money. But even then, he's got to worry about racing his whole stack for eights because anybody right. doing that is not doing it with Deuce Trey, so they're probably doing it with, like, Jack-10, and so you can still have to race. So <laughs> I think the eights fold no matter what. But still, I mean, at that point, you might even get the 8-9 to call because he only had 33 bucks left, and you're giving that's him great true. pot odds to just throw 8-9 in the middle and try to double up or triple up or something. So I mean, that's kind of the argument for not shoving later in the hand, right? Because, you know... We had a we had to give good credence to the small blind for having a decent hand. Now it doesn't necessarily be a, um, an odds on favorite against our hand, which had a ton of outs, right? Right. But so if that if that's the case, then our only, our our big profit potential comes from getting other people into the pot. 
So by shoving, and we shove, we we forced everybody else out. Now we had to beat the villain here um, to win anything out of this pot. And as it turned out, he flopped it straight, which is strong. And then we just, you know, hit one of our massive amounts of outs. So that that's probably the argument for calling the small blind shove there, and then hope that we hit. Yeah. Do you think we top gunned this hand? Top gunned. Like you, know, you know what that means? Um, I have lots of definitions of top gun. I don't know how it applies. All right, well, my definition is when we're going to hit the brakes, Goose is going to fly right by. <laughs> and then Kelly McGillis says, although the work, the move worked, I mean. Yes. I think we've shown that there was a better way to play this hand. Yeah. Uh, I probably would have folded the jack nine pre-flop. Um, but other than that, I think he made the right move. And once you flop that, re-raising is the right move there and get heads up with that guy. I, and that, there's no question, I think, there's no way you just call there when you only had 60 left anyway, calling over 50% of your, you know, with top pair and a, a ton of draws. Now, I can see what Scott was saying before about trying to get more money in there because you got such a strong draw, you want to make more money. But at the same time, your draw might not get there. Your jacks are good enough to beat one guy normally. Yeah, that's a tough call. <laughs> I actually want to hear from our listeners on that, which way you go there. Um, I mean, obviously it changes by having the jack there, so we had a made hand rather than just a draw-heavy hand. Right. Um, so it's almost like a pineapple game, right? Where you, Oof. hey, I've got a made hand now. Is that is that going to be good enough to hold up? Or do I need to release my good hand and go for the draw and hope it gets there? Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. And it, actually very similar here. That's what I'm afraid of is somebody's got ace-jack. Or not ace-jack because they probably would have raised – well, no, that could be the person who raised. So ace jack could be the hand, like ace jack of hearts. Yeah, you know, and then you know, the guy's like, oh, I'm going to call thirty three with top pair, top kicker. Sure, yeah, you know, and then it gets to the turn, and everyone, you know, you've got all this money now. But all you can put in is thirty. Is if, you, if you make that call in that situation, if we decide to call rather than shoving. Mm-hmm. We're doing it with the understanding that we're going to have to have to hit probably prove right or to, to to make bank on that. I think there, right. there's no way. I I think you can just assume that. That your jack is your pair of jacks are going to hold up at that point. So yeah. that that's the decision you have to make is you know am I willing to call less in the hopes of more people come in and I hit my hand stronger, or do I shove here take you know take what I got which is a good hand, um and maybe freeze people out and not get a much as much money out of it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh. Well, congratulations on winning the hand, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. That's we, never a bad thing. We go way back with Dave, so he can, he can take us saying got a full preflop there. And he calls himself Dead Money Dave. So. Dead Money Dave. So he, yeah. he <laughs> see, I like people who plug our show and then have sort of self-deprecating humor about themselves. Uh, they fit right in. Yeah. Hey, I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.